Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have such an epic guest on the show today. Whitney Eckes is the founder and CEO of Eckes Marketing, a creative communications agency based out of San Diego, California. Whitney has spent the last seven years perfecting the practices of growing brands and businesses in the digital space. Eckes Marketing elevates brands through social media marketing, influencer relations, branding, and creative strategy. Whitney, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Marin. I'm so excited to chat with you. So much same. And of course, that's just like the Reader's Digest version. I mean, there are so many <laughs> amazing facets to this woman, you guys. I mean, when Whitney and I first got together, it was just like so many synchronicities, finding out so many fun facts. I'm so pumped to share your story with our listeners. Oh, well, thank you so much. And same to you. I mean, I love talking with other fellow entrepreneurs and I feel like there's a lot deeper levels to you as well. So I'm so excited to to be here and to be chatting with you. It takes one to know one. So (laughs) question for you that we start off with all of our guests. What was little Whitney like? Oh my gosh. Um, I was, (laughs) I was a tomboy. I was very wild, very independent. Um, I was raised by a single father, so I really just kind of had a lot of freedom when it came to my own style and creativity. Um, I, in fact, I like grew up never brushing my hair because my dad obviously didn't know what to do with my wild mop. Um, but yeah, I loved, I loved to be creative. I was super adventurous and, um, I used to like love to write short stories or like go outside and like have all, yeah, I was just very imaginative as, you know, as a kid. Do you find that that is kind of how you approach your life and your business now still? Yeah, I think, I think one of my biggest, like it's my biggest quality, but it's also like my biggest weakness is that I do have such a dreamer mentality. So it's really awesome when it comes to conceptualizing and coming up with creative ideas and campaigns and things like that. Um, But it's also something that I've learned to own because sometimes I'm not always the best one on like nailing down the actual execution or things like that. And very, my head is in the clouds. I see the vision. I can see the overarching picture. And then I've learned to hire those that bring out my weaknesses and make them my strengths underneath me. That's amazing. I was just going to ask you about hiring. So when it comes to formulating your team, and obviously this is, you know, there's ebbs and flows, it's ever evolving, but at what point in your business did you say, okay, I'm ready to hire out? Yeah. Um, I think in the agency I hired really, really early on, I kind of just assumed that was what I was supposed to be doing. And when I first started, it was more of like me freelancing, excuse me, more than like anything. And so with that, I kind of had a couple interns, I had some assistants, things like that. But when I really chose to, you know, move Agus from more of this kind of freelancing execution style career to more of an agency where we were able to expand into different verticals, whether it be influencers or events or branding or things of that nature, I started looking at really people that were going to bring things to the table that would make our services full circle. And even now, as we continue to expand, I'm even looking more so for these kind of leaders and thought, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, these leaders and kind of forward thinkers that are going to bring more of a creative direction to the agency and be able to see the longevity of it. Right. So like, as I continue to scale, it's more so, you know, kind of finding the people that help out with whatever small tasks, maybe I'm not able to crush or I'm not really great at, but then also too, now it's trying to find people that are going to also see more of a vision than even me and being able to really make their home here. That's amazing. What does your team look like now? Yeah, right now we have about a team of five. Um, and they're kind of, we're kind of growing and expanding. Um, I really have always worked with a really small team of all women in the agency. And now we're kind of, again, we're, we're in this really cool precipice of, you know, going through 2020 
you know, really recovering and, you know, growing back all of our business in 2021 to now we're in this really expansive state where we're looking at what we do really well and what new verticals we want to go into. And so that's been really cool because now there's all these different opportunities to bring in other, you know, potential team members or people with different skill sets to kind of bring new ideas to the table and be able to continue doing our thing. That's so amazing. Um, you studied in California as well. Yes, I did. Yeah. I went to school, um, up in orange County. Did you study marketing? Did you study anything that has to do with what you're doing now? No, I mean, yes, (laughs) yes. And no. Um, I actually, my first year in college, I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist and I went to a liberal arts university and they really didn't have much on marine biology. So I like majored in biology. And then I was like, I hate this. I was like, this is not my gig. And then from there, I double majored in communications and then also, um, business administration and communications was like very loose. There was like kind of a PR focus. And so I went into a lot of more of the PR focus based like classes, but I really got a lot of my marketing experience through my, um, through different internships or different jobs. Like I started working for Red Bull in college and that was right at the rise of like Instagram. And so a lot of the athlete marketing and promos and different event coordinations and activations that we were doing was all around social. So I got a ton of experience through doing that. And I even remember my other, you know, my job after that, going into a hospitality group and learning the ins and outs of digital marketing. And realized there was marketing was so this encompassing umbrella of all these different avenues that you can go to help, you know, elevate a brand and bring awareness and, you know, drive sales and things like that. So when I went to, you know, start Ekis, it really leaned into social media and it really leaned into these creative activations or events because the digital marketing thing just didn't really, it wasn't was not interested in paid media. I was not interested in paid advertising. I was solely into the social driven, you know, content, the influencers, the awareness driven and, you know, events and campaigns. Um, and kind of that, the that more creative side is really where, yeah, where my brain went. That's amazing. What was your first job out of college? My first job out of college <laughs> Basically, I'm curious as to <laughs> yeah. college to Ekis marketing, fill yeah. in the blank. Like what happened in between? Oh my, it was kind of a whirlwind and it happened like really quickly. So I had this amazing job at Red Bull in college. I had an amazing job at Aviator Nation. Um, I was like right in the beginning of Aviator when, well, not right in the beginning, but probably at the early stages of Aviator when she had a couple stores. And she was just doing this really cool thing with her vintage clothing and like all the celebrities were starting to pick it up. And it was just an awesome, awesome, like beginning part of the brand that I got to see. And from there, I graduated college. I moved back home to San Diego. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and so I went to Thailand for like a month, hoping to have like the spiritual awakening and like come back and be like, I know my purpose and my vision for my life. And that wasn't the case. Um, so I came back home to San Diego and I had a real conversation with my dad and my dad has, or we have a family business that's over 75 years old and it's been handed down from my grand, from my great grandfather to my grandfather, to my dad. Um, and eventually I'll be taking it over as the fourth generation, but I was like, okay, like I'm ready to take over the family business. Like this is, this must be it. Like this must be the only option. And I'll like, I'll never forget. My dad was like, there's no way in hell. Like, he's like, you haven't failed. He's like, you've never done anything on your own yet. He's like, and that's not, you know, that's not something that's bad. It's just that I want you to have the opportunity to go and to learn for yourself. And so I went and got a hostessing job at a cocktail or rooftop cocktail bar. And from that point, this craft cocktail scene was, I thought was so cool. So I was like, okay, I'll become a craft cocktail bartender and I'll post it all on social. So I started bugging all the bartenders. I'm like, how come you're not putting this on social? How come we're not doing more on social media? And they're like, this is like, they're like, this dumb hostess like needs to get out of here. Like, we don't know who she is. Right. So basically that happened. And from that point, I received a call from the hospitality group being like, Hey, we have this director of sales and marketing position open. 
we know you've been bugging everyone and we know that, you know, you have this background with Red Bull and with social media. Do you want to come and, you know, work for us and like do an interview? So I did like a couple of rounds of interviews and I ended up getting it. And then from that point, I was managing about 15 properties. Um, so all bars, restaurants, hotels, all on social media. I was like telling Marriott they needed to go on Instagram and they were like, no, <laughs> like there were, there were, this is still when like we refer to influencers as like bloggers. And this is still like, this is the very OG phase of like blogging, like travel blogging, mommy blogging, things like that. And they were like, do we, you know, these girls are asking to come in. They just want a comped room. Like, this is like, what do we you know? What's our return on it? And so we started like building up this kind of influencer program for them or like, you know, helping them with that. And so in that job, I gained all this other experience too. I, you know, like did graphic design. I basically did all these things. So after about one to two, I can't, it's like a year and a half to two years of doing that. I was just kind of over the corporate lifestyle of hospitality. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't my jive. I mean, I had come from Red Bull where we are literally pushing the envelope in every single way, shape or form to Aviator Nation, which is such a creative, artistic, you know, nod to this vintage life, California, vintage California lifestyle to, you know, very, very professional corporate life. And I felt like I always kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. And I always kind of felt like I was always like this, like kind of problem child in this setting. And I probably wasn't, but that's just how it felt. So I was like, you know, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to go after a few of my own brands and just like, see what I can do. So I left the hospitality company. Um, they actually came back and they were like, well, we want you to manage like five, I think it was like five clients or something like that. I was like, awesome. So I did start managing them and then I started freelancing and that's how Ekis was kind of born because the best way for me to invoice out to these properties. So they remembered who I was is by using my last name. Amazing. So just for some context, no, that's (laughs) amazing. Like this is, I'm like, I'm taking notes for real estate. This is the best. So just for context, what is that time frame when you're saying this is when influencers were called bloggers, people were reluctant to mm-hmm. get on social media? Like, I remember those days. I have so many friends who are in the digital marketing space in LA specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember them being like, people won't go on Instagram. Yeah. What is that time frame for you? So it's about, so let's see, I graduated in 2015. So about 2016 to 2018 was really kind of when all of this started going down. That's fairly late. Yeah. It's pretty late. All things but, considered. Well, if you think about it though, again, from a corporate standpoint, there were a lot of brands that were early on, but you kind of, you know, there's the more and more you get into larger brands, the more and more you're going to see a lot more kind of, I don't want to call it red tape, but hesitation. You know, you see a lot of these kind of giants that kind of move into these phases a little bit later. And it, you know, really comes down to a lot of reasons why they do that. But yeah, I mean, they were, there were tons of properties that didn't have an Instagram and they were like, why do we need an Instagram? There were other properties. Like we worked with like, um, a loft and like Moxie and a lot of their programming for their owners was to actually be on social and to have a super robust plan, but it wasn't always the case for a lot of them. So there were a lot of conversations, you know, when we were managing these different hotels to be like, you know, they'd be like, okay, so what about this social thing? what should we be doing? You know, and then as, as this hospitality group, we'd have to manage them and help them and consult them into a right game plan. And usually after we did that, I was running all of it. So they kind of handed over to me. That's amazing. You mentioned that you left that company and then decided to go freelance. We get Mm -hmm. a lot of questions from you know, aspiring entrepreneurs going, well, maybe I need to have something set in stone before I leave. Do I just leave? Mm -hmm. What do I do? I think everyone's process is different. I'm more of a jump and figure out how to land when you're on your way down. Um, but what is your, like, at what point did you think, oh, this is a feasible time for me to, for me to leave? Did you already have a business plan kind of in place now? No, <laughs> no. Um, in fact, like I, I feel like the first couple of years of Ekis was really me figuring it out and trying to find my footing. Um, <clears throat> but I really kind of jumped because I was so naive and I had, I was so young. I mean, I was like 22 and 
it was more or less of like, you know, from college and from going through a couple of these jobs and graduating school, it really didn't compute that it was like starting this business and like starting this whole entity of like responsibility and like ownership. It was more of like, I'm just going to do this. Like, this is a job and I think I can do it. And like, I have enough network at this point to be able to represent brands. It wasn't like this huge thought process. And again, maybe that was because I was young and naive, but I think when we talk to other entrepreneurs, I think the biggest thing here is that there's a moment when you jump and there's also a moment in time where you plan. And I think that, you know, again, I, I have a girlfriend that I have two girlfriends that just started their agencies about two years ago and their growth and their trajectory was so much different than mine because they had taken that time to lay out what they wanted in terms of a business plan or an approach mine was figuring it out as I went. And that was my own journey and my own story. I mean, if you feel passionate enough, I'm not going to say you can't do it, but I think that there's definitely a little bit more strategy that could have been, you know, put into it. And for me, again, this was just my story and it really worked, but looking back at Ekis and even when, you know, I went to launch get super, there was so much more strategy and really, I mean, I spent a year laying the foundation of a get super before we launched. And so that was, you know, when I look at both companies, they're just both different journeys in my life. And I guess has been this, has given me so much of my entrepreneurial experience. And it has taught me so much because I learned by doing, and I learned by falling on my face. And I had so much of that, especially in the early years. And I mean, I still continue to do, but that was what really gave me my moment of applying everything that I had learned from these other jobs, from my school, from all these things, and being able to kind of make this happy, beautiful mess that turned into now my livelihood. So, and again, that's, that's not for everyone. That's for me. But I think, again, when we talk about, we talk to other entrepreneurs, it's never just dive right in and, you know, don't do your homework before it's be strategical, be intentional, figure out what you want to do. And, you know, you can lay your game plan, even if it's like, okay, my game plan is I'm not really sure if this is going to work, but I want to, you know, I want to spend the first 60 days seeing if I can attract five clients, you know, and then from those five clients, I want to spend about 30 days with them, analyze the results, analyze my, you know, my price points and things like that. And then scale it if it makes sense. It's really just a lesson in self-awareness. It sounds like, because I think that you and I probably go about business in a similar way, but other people need a little bit more time and space and, and Mm -hmm. more um, direction before they move forward, knowing that that direction could change. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I agree. It's totally a lesson in self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned get super. How long into having Ekis Marketing did you decide to launch Get Super? And also tell our listeners what Get Super is. Yeah. So Get Super is our hemp-infused instant coffee. Um, it is basically the answer to having your favorite cup of coffee without the jitters, the anxiety. Um, it helps with uh, inflammation. It has, it has a bunch of antioxidants in it. It's great. I basically... I basically started this company because in 2020, I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety disorder. Um, and one of the things I had to do was obviously overhaul my entire lifestyle. I have a lot of family history when it comes to mental health or a lot of mental health in our family. And I, when I was diagnosed, it was kind of like this huge moment for me in a sense that it really felt like I was kind of just a product of my genes. And I didn't like that feeling. I also, we also have a history of addiction in our family. So I chose not to go um, on medication, which was just my own choice. I have nothing against it, but it was just what I felt like was right for me. And so when I was doing this huge overhaul with my lifestyle, started realizing that coffee and the caffeine was a huge trigger for panic attacks and anxiety. And I really didn't love that. You know, I wanted to have my morning cup of coffee. I really didn't want to feel like I had to give up something else, especially when, you know, I was had a, I had these coaches, I had my therapy, I was, you know, insanely strict about my routine and my practices because I was in such a fragile state 
that it felt like asking to give up one more thing was like this huge deal. So, um, basically what had happened with get super was there was already this preliminary concept of our water soluble hemp extract infused with instant coffee. And I had taken this preliminary product. I had acquired it from the original owner, reformulated it. Like I said, spent about a year really kind of mapping out our strategy and our launch and then launched it in October of 2021. Um, so about it was Agus's fourth year around when I decided to launch uh, Get Super. So, what does managing both look like? It's a little tricky. Um, it's definitely a dance. Right now, Get Super again is really in this infant um, kind of stage. And with Echis, again, I've spent a lot of time really developing our team and our practices and our systems. So, right now, what it looks like is, you know, our it's kind of cool. Our agency obviously does all the marketing for Get Super, which is really a huge blessing and takes a huge burden off my plate for making sure that everything is handled appropriately. With that being said, um, you know, there are things about, you know, being a CBG product that also has CBD in it that are a little bit it, it takes, it takes a lot of time and energy to really approach this market and do it well. So if it were not for my team, if it were not for, you know, my operation manager, for my assistant, for, you know, my partner, Spencer, who helps me with all of our fulfillment and production and things like that for Get Super, I wouldn't be able to do it. But right now my day-to-day really looks like I have to time block out, you know, very specific days and very specific times so that I can give my attention to both. And it does become tricky because the hardest thing is that I really want to show up and be present for both agencies or for both businesses. And that intention of showing up for your team and being present and being able to be really dialed in of, you know, what we're talking about versus just kind of having, you know, conversations and passing through is probably the trickiest part because I don't want to just rush through things. I want to be intentional about what I'm doing, but it does take a lot of balance. Developing a product, as you know, is quite a journey. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I have so many questions about developing a product in the food space mm-hmm. because it's very different from, you know, hard goods like mm-hmm. I sell with the jewelry brand. Yeah. When you first thought, you know, these are, you know, this is something that's important to me. This is white space in the market. I want to develop this product. What was your first step to developing this food product? And tell us a little bit about that journey of maybe trial and error. Mm -hmm. I think that the, you know, the branding and the marketing and the aesthetics, I mean, that's what you do. That's what you've done. Like you've proven Mm -hmm. yourself over and over with Ekis marketing, but now Mm -hmm. you're thrust into this new industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, we took kind of a year to really spend some time on this. Um, the first couple of things we did was like, I mean, we, selfishly, I wanted the product and I wanted to acquire it. So that was kind of this passion project on my end. After that, I was like, okay, awesome. Let's start, you know, like evaluating the market and the competition, which probably you should do it the other way around. But for me, that was kind of, again, my passion was what I was going through and what I was doing. I was like this, you know, this is really helpful for me and I can't be the only one that feels this way. So I did a huge evaluation just on the coffee market and the instant coffee market And the other thing about Get Super that we had really fallen in love with was the convenience and the capability of being an instant stick pack. And so I started moving outside of this coffee industry and actually started looking into more of this wellness-based convenience industry, which again, I kind of refer to as like an instant wellness beverage company. So I look at, I looked at liquid IV. I looked at, um, Organifi. I looked at ancient nutrition. I looked at these really awesome, awesome, awesome brands. And some of them are from San Diego, which is probably where my mind went to, too. Um, as these game changers, because they were creating these beverages that were instant and that served so many benefits, but that were shelf stable, easy to travel with easy to be consumed, but then gave you this huge benefit, you know, whether it was nutrients, supplements, um, you know, pain relief, anything like that. 
And so with Get Super, yes, we are an instant coffee, but one of the biggest things that I talk about and that we continue to work on and develop is how do we take Get Super from being a CBD coffee brand to being an instant wellness beverage company? Because that's truly what we are. Yes, it's, you know, our hemp, our coffee is infused with hemp, but, you know, we also launched with two different products. We launched with our signature coffee, our, our signature instant coffee, and then our hemp infused instant coffee. And the reason why is because we wanted to offer both. And as we continue to look at production down the line, you know, we're looking and formulating different things like, you know, what, what other categories can we go into? Can we go into matcha? Can we go into a sleep powder? Can we go into an energy pre-workout? Can we go into these different elements of this beverage company that doesn't silo us into coffee? Um, and I think with that, that, that came from a lot of research and development. We just so happened to launch that as our first one. So when we went to really reformulate, we had everything taste tested. Um, we did so much research and background on, you know, our different sourcing and where our, you know, hemp and CBD were coming from. And even now, you know, we're still continuing to read, to rework with, or to open ourselves up to new partners and to work with different brands and formulators and things like that, that are going to bring the most benefit. So it's still an ongoing process. And I'm sure like, you know, it never stops. It's always making our product better. But I think, I think the best part too, is like, I mean, I think every, every entrepreneur that has a product-based brand gets excited about this, but it's looking at the future and looking at what other products we get to bring to the table and different ways that we get to continue to expand and grow, you know, our product line. Is the goal for you for both Ekis Marketing and Get Super to sell at one point? <sighs> um, yes and no. I, I go back and forth on this question constantly. Um, there was a moment with Ekis Marketing that I was thinking that I wanted to just sell and be kind of done and move into things with Get Super. And that kind of goes into a lot of my journey and my story kind of with my anxiety and depression. However, there's something about Ekis Marketing that continues to evolve and continues to adapt as I adapt. And it's really like a part of me and get super the same, but with Ekis, there is something that feels a little bit more like it will always kind of be the agency. It will always kind of be this business that I have because the nice thing about having this creative marketing agency is number one, yes, it's always evolving with the times, but number two, it has served me and served my family, my friends, and so many more of our other close clients as well as our team. And so I really don't know if, if we will ever be this agency that sells, I don't know if we will ever be come to this point because it seems like it is so intrinsically a part of who I am and it continues to serve me in so many ways that I'm not sure I'd ever want to part with that. So yeah, long and short. <laughs> I asked that only because you come from you know, a long line of a family business that's been passed down. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, a lot of times that is a potentially a pipe dream and people think, oh, I'll just pass this down, but don't mm -hmm. really have that framework or that blueprint of how to do it. That's been your family legacy for many generations. So, you know, as you both um, are past your family business, I was curious if the other brands that you were building were going to take that same path perhaps as well. Yeah. I mean, I, it's really funny. No one's ever asked me that before as if, you know, this, the businesses that I create will become, you know, family, family businesses. Um, I think, I think there is something to be said about the legacy. And again, the, the name of the agency was such a happy accident. And at first, you know, I used to tell people like, don't ever put your last name on anything just for the sake of, you know, not letting your family down or, you know, not having such, you know, just that feeling of pressure. But as I, we continue and my, and my dad tells me this all the time, he's like, I just love that we have this last name or we have this business that has our last name on it. That being said too, I'm also kind of this last Ekis in our immediate family. So the last name will die with me. Um, which is kind of, which is kind of interesting how it all played out, but you know, yeah, no one's ever asked me that before, but I for sure seeing it be something that continues on in its legacy. And it's really, again, been something that 
I love. And with get super, I think when it comes to terms of selling, the only reason I would sell get super is to be able to expand it more. And I think with get super being such a passion driven business. Um, and when I say passion, it's because it was such a part of my story and I have so much emotion poured into this company because it served me and it served so many other people that the only way that I would want to really sell it is so that it could continue to expand and continue to help in a larger scale. How did being a California resident influence your career and what you thought possible for a work environment? Oh, um, I think when we talk about, okay, being a California resident, I think I immediately think of San Diego. And I think it's because there's a huge San Diego lifestyle and culture here. Um, Everyone's very health and wellness driven. And there's always this really amazing sense of like community in a sense. And so when I went to start my business, it felt, especially I guess marketing, it felt like a small enough city that I could wrap my arms around, but the people and the entrepreneurs and the community of business within San Diego is so strong and so powerful that it actually allowed me to grow and expand way quicker than I ever expected. Um, and so it kind of feels like San Diego is like not a small town, but it has this kind of smaller ish feeling to it. And it feels like there's almost an easier barrier of entry to be able to grow and to connect with other people. So I, I loved being from here and I loved starting my businesses here. When it comes to your marketing agency, how do you stay relevant as an agency? And also how do you advise your clients to stay relevant in the space? Cause it's changing so fast. Yeah. Um, for us, our relevancy, you know, it's actually funny because we're actually putting together like this huge marketing plan for our agency, because we're really starting to want to again, scale and move. And we've done some marketing for ourselves over the years, but nothing that was really mapped out in a strategic way. Um, but I think for us, our relevancy comes from the way that we operate as a team. I have seen a lot of agencies that have burned a lot of clients, both on the hospitality side and the product side. And I've seen a lot of smoke and mirrors, you know, again, when I was working in this hospitality group, we worked with, we worked with an agency for everything, design, branding, video, um, paid, paid advertising, everything. So there was a lot of people that I learned very quickly, like how they work and a lot of, again, this kind of smoke and mirrors. And you'll always kind of hear this in the marketing side of like, don't go with a big agency. Don't sign a huge retainer. They're just going to take your money and run. And a lot of them do. Um, in fact, I worked with one on get super and they took a huge amount of money from us, um, way early on. They told us they could market CBD, which is, there's a huge, I don't know if you're familiar with CBD marketing, but there's a lot of compliance and there's a lot of things we're not able to do and really didn't kind of bring us any return on any of the money that we spent. So I felt that firsthand. I've seen it with other brands and clients. And when it comes to Ekis, this is also to why we've been very cautious with going into paid advertising is that we are really an extension of every brand's marketing team. We have, you know, our communication and our level of showing up for our clients almost feels like you're hiring an in-house team. And the reason why I say that is again, because we have really leaned into the fact of building up great brands. And when it comes to building up great brands, it is being kind of in the trenches with them. And it is being this partner for them. Yes, it's executing a service. And yes, there are a lot of boundaries and things like that, that I have to set up between my clients and my team. But ultimately it is making sure that my team is showing up for them. And there's this kind of different level of like, client support that we offer. That's not just, Hey, this is, you know, let me take your huge retainer up front and I'll talk to you maybe once a month. And that was something too, that I never wanted our team to be. So that's where our relevancy comes in because we are so involved with these brands. We are so involved with our clients that it really becomes more of a partnership than it does more of let's hire an agency for six months. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I mean, as a brand owner, that's very refreshing to hear because I've experienced both 
and yeah. um, the former that you um, described, the you know experience that you even had with Get Super, it's not fun as a brand. I mean, no. the amount of the amount of individual pieces of jewelry that need to be sold to to be able to afford X, or the amount of Get Super um, packets yeah. that need to get sold in order to be able to afford you know X service. It's a lot when you're working with you know a small affordable um, product. So yeah. I I see you when you say that, like, and I've experienced my version of it. I totally get it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny. It's because it's like everyone has their horror story with a marketing agency, mm-hmm. and um, you know, again, marketing is in our name. It, we we really call ourselves like a creative communications agency. But it, you know, there's, there's been a lot. I mean, I sit down with clients all the time or potential clients all the time that will just have this, this just resistant energy. And it's like, you know, they're reaching out to us and they want to come to us, but it is so hard to develop trust once someone's already been burned. And that is also to something that, you know, we have to be really clear on. And that looks like, you know, I tell my team and I tell our clients this and our team tells our clients this, that it's like, we will not do everything for you. And if there's something we cannot do, we will tell you our job is, you know, X, Y, and Z, and we will be there and we will offer support and we will offer as much help as we can on any situation. But first and foremost, we'll always be transparent with you. We will always tell you what we're capable of doing, what we're not. And, you know, even as we we've been, you know, experimenting with TikTok and Pinterest, and we've been experimenting with, you know, actually seeing what paid campaigns look like with them. And I've had this amazing client, it's a skincare company. And, um, one of the things that, you know, we told them was like, Hey, we want to do this. And they're like, yeah, we want you to do this too. Like, let's talk about it. So we sat down with them and we're like, look, we're not going to charge you for, you know, X amount of time. Cause we want to pilot this program with you. And I think when there's that level of transparency, you know, the client was stoked and have there been mistakes? Sure. But there's also this level of like, we want to do this and we want to do this with you. Are you willing to learn with us? And they're like, yes. So we piloted programs. The first program made, I'm not kidding, probably 120% return. And it was office learning. And it was the most awesome thing we could have ever done. And I'm so grateful for that client for, you know, giving us a shot. But I also think that as you know, someone that's in the service-based industry, if you lead with transparency and you lead with authenticity and you tell them point blank, instead of trying to sell them the whole sky, they're going to have a lot more respect and understanding, and it's going to be a whole lot better of a partnership. Let's talk about mistakes. (laughs) When, I mean, I believe in winning and learning. Like I think that, you know, a mistake is a beautiful opportunity to learn a lesson, but your words, when a mistake does happen on the company side, how do you guys rectify it? Yeah. I mean, number one, come clean. Number one, always, always let them know like this was completely on us. You know, something slipped through the cracks. We made a huge mistake. It was a huge miss overlook or it was, you know, it was overlook. Um, and then second, how are you going to make it right? I also believe that, you know, if it was really interesting, like we were just talking about, we're just, I just went to a wedding this last weekend. And one of the things I, there, there was this event coordinator, this wedding planner, and she had made a mistake and the mistake caused, you know, a financial, you know, another financial cost on the bride and groom. And I was like, kind of like dumbfounded by that because, you know, we do a lot of events and things like that. And if there's ever a mistake, you know, we kind of always eat this cost. And so I I was kind of like listening into this and I was like, this is a really interesting experience because obviously like we do this, but we do it from more of a client corporate approach. But I think when it, when it comes to making a mistake, you know, always come clean, always be transparent. I mean, you're a human being, people are humans, like things happen. But I think second is how are you going to either a make it right or B what is going to be how are you going to essentially adjust the situation to correct it or to rectify it? So again, if there's something that happens, you know, on our end, that's a mistake, you know, at an event, let's just say we order something from a vendor, the vendor doesn't show or something breaks, like we will eat that on our client's end. And so I think that that's something that when it comes to us, it's more or less of like, you know, always being again, transparent, but always to making sure that you're correcting it. Same thing with social, you know, there's things that 
There's things that happen all the time on social media, especially, you know, being in this age of cancel culture and brands just getting crazy attacked. If there's something that goes wrong again, just like with your own community, you know, own it, call it out, have a conversation about it, and then move in a direction where you're going to fix this, or you're going to let them know that you're aware of fixing it. Cancel culture. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> that is a whole nother podcast. Absolutely. You just, I know, right? Um, you just got a new office. I did. Yes. I'm actually sitting in it right now. I love that for you. Thank I remember you. vaguely poking through your Instagram stories during your like office transition, that office story. Um, yeah. Can you tell us about, about that process? It's yeah. similar to mine. It's similar to mine. Yeah. So we, let's see, I had, we had our first office, um, I believe from 2019 into 2020, um, it was in a completely different location and I was absolutely just in love with it. And then COVID had happened and we decided that we were going to go fully remote. So we spent the last two years fully remote as an agency and we decided, you know, I kind of, was getting a lot of zoom fatigue and our team, I felt like, you know, we were really just craving a space for our own. Um, and even now we still kind of have a bit of a hybrid schedule, but I made the choice of like, you know, if we hit this revenue goal, I'm going to invest in another office again. And it wasn't more so there was like this sense of like, because we need it, but there was also the sense of like, because also too, you know, this is my livelihood and this is, I want to be in a space that I know I can call my own. Um, and I was ready to get out of the house and I was ready to kind of invest in this for myself and for my team. And so we did just that. And we've been in it since the beginning of May and we still have like zero furniture because everything's on back order, but we're making do with what we have. And it's great. I love that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. You mentioned to me that you don't like hustle culture on our mm -hmm. first chat. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. And for such a hustler to say that, <laughs> I would love for you to break down what that actually means to you. Yeah. Um, I think when we talk about hustle culture, there's this, there's this, even when we talk about entrepreneurship, there's a stigma of like entrepreneurs being better than everyone else because of the amount of work and toil and grind and hustle that we put into everything that we do. Um, and I also think that there's this sense of like, I work so much and I'm therefore better than you. But then on the other side of that, there's also this feeling of pressure on entrepreneurs of like, if I don't work this much, I will never be successful. If I don't spend, you know, if I'm not the exact replication of Elon Musk, I will never be a billionaire. And I think that number one, it's complete bullshit. And number two, it's something that also sets you up for failure because I think it takes you out of a healthy practice. And also it takes you out of who you are. There are people that need to work from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. to be their most productive. There are people that need to work one hour a day to be their most productive. I don't think that we can generalize how people work in their work ethic. You know, an industry is obviously way different too. And I don't think we can generalize that. I think with anything, we can for sure lean into the fact that, you know, as an entrepreneur, we are all created differently. And as an entrepreneur, we shouldn't have to be forced to the stigma of constantly feeling like we're not doing enough. And, you know, the more entrepreneurs I talk with too, that's such a mindset that we all share is that there's so much anxiety about what we're not doing and what we could be doing that if we were to break that down and come out of that and realize that if we take better cares of our, if we take better care of ourselves first, we will be twice as more productive. And it's kind of this sense of slowing down in order to go faster. And that's where me and hustle culture don't align. There's nothing wrong with being like, you're a badass and a hustler and doing 27 things at once and working fast. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it comes to this pressure that you have and, or this kind of stigma that you feel stuck in, it's just a stigma. 
And it's so not, if it's not fulfilling you again, there's some people that are motivated by that. There's some people that are motivated by, you know, I want to grind 24 seven a day. Cool. I don't, and I don't do that. Um, and it's mainly because of my mental health. And there's also, you know, times too, where like the last two weeks, like I found myself kind of back in this groove of not honoring my time and not honoring my schedule and giving up a lot of my energy to other people. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like, it's making me not fun to be around. I'm not present in my conversations. I'm not creative right now. You know, I don't owe anyone anything. And I need to remember that I need to come back to myself in order for me to be the best light and the best person I can be, especially in business. What does your sweet spot in terms of your schedule look like and managing your time? Oh, um, definitely. I'm, I'm more of, I like to come in and hit it hard from like nine to four o'clock. Like I love a good grind. Um, but I also am like super, I have a lot of boundaries on my morning time, my evening time, my weekends. I need that time. I, you know, I need from whatever 6am until nine o'clock or 10 o'clock to, know, do my meditation, do my journaling. If I want to go for a walk or I want to work out. And then I also want this time from, you know, four or 5 PM later to decompress. And now that I'm also going into the office, there's a lot more social interaction. There's a lot more being available for people that are in the office with me. So I'm actually, and it's funny too, we're actually like thinking about going to a four day work schedule and giving our girls, you know, Fridays off. Um, I love this idea. I think it's a great idea because I think it also sets up your week to, you know, really kind of lean in hard to what you need to do. But I mean, there's also, I go back and forth on it because there's also weeks where it's like, you know, I'm having an incredibly insane day and I need to take off, you know, on Tuesday and go for a walk or go take a nap or things like that. So I think, I think for me, my sweet spot is just making sure I'm time blocking out enough time to be able to decompress, to be able to have some alone time and to kind of make sure that and check in with myself that I'm good. I love that. As you create this four day work schedule or potential work schedule for your team, please let me know how that goes. Cause that is (laughs) very intriguing. And I feel like my girls would love that too. Yeah. I don't know yet. We, we go back and forth on it because there's some days it's kind of nice. Cause there's some days right now where it's like, we'll have a Friday and like nothing's going on. And you know, our girls make up their own schedule. So, you know, if they don't really have any projects that need their attention on a Friday, they're good to, they're good to go. But if there's other things, you know, there could be other Fridays where it's like, we're, we're busy from, you know, 10 to seven o'clock just right. depends. Totally. What is next for Echis marketing and forget super? Ah, uh, so many things. Um, forget super right now. We're actually really working on developing the companies. We're doing a lot of business development just because we launched super hard. We launched super fast. And now it's like, you know, how do we build up a really awesome team and what's kind of next for what we're going to be doing with the product and just with our, you know, um, vision and direction for the company for Ekis, it is, um, taking a moment to kind of sit with our expansion and also lean back into our team and our services. So we're doing a ton of team training right now. Like I kind of told you, we're, we're considering new verticals to open up. Um, and with that, we're looking at, you know, different people to hire and things like that to help us expand. But we, we've in the past, I've expanded very quickly and it's kind of led us to juggling a lot of different things, whether we didn't have enough team members or we had too many clients or we didn't have enough clients and had too many team members or, you know, these verticals weren't fully built out or there wasn't enough training or support for our team. So we're hitting this kind of new threshold of growth, but we're also taking a moment to kind of lean into it and making sure that we feel solidified before we can go for our next kind of round. So, um, a lot of, a lot of internal development, actually, I guess now that I'm like hearing myself say that out loud. I love that. I feel like we're almost on the, on the precipice of exiting that, that season of just like internal strategy, internal development, all of the, Mm -hmm. all of the above. What is Whitney human excited about? Oh, Whitney, Whitney is very excited about just life right now. I'm, I'm very happy in my 
very happy in my businesses. I'm very happy in my relationship and, um, just my life. I feel like I'm, I'm at a really good place and I've worked really, really hard to come to this place, both mentally, emotionally, and physically. And so it's just kind of being in my own groove. And it's, you know, again, as being this kind of, you talked about a hustler, you talked about someone that's constantly building. It's nice to be able to be in something where it feels like there's a lot of structure and there's already a little bit of a routine where we're kind of finding this groove and the wheels are turning at a good pace. So, um, yeah, for me, it's that my team, all the people that support me, my family, I'm incredibly blessed and I'm very happy. It's so beautiful. What does self-care mean to you? Ooh, self-care. Self-care is literally for me, the act of making sure that I'm okay. Um, again, after my diagnosis, I started realizing how much pressure I put on myself, all of the negative self-talk, um, a lot of my lifestyle routines that weren't serving me and were actually kind of, um, making me crumble. So again, for me, self-care is making sure that I'm putting, putting Whitney's for Whitney first. Um, and that comes in a lot of form of really kind of treating myself like a child (laughs) and making sure that I, you know, or like how I look at my dogs, you know, making sure that I'm taken care of, making sure that I feel good having check-ins, um, you know, communicating with my boyfriend on times that I need help, you know, or that I need support. Um, same thing with my friends and, you know, different things like that. So that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Where can we find you and how can we support you? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at Whitney Eckes to follow my personal journey. And then you can find and follow the agency just at Eckes Marketing. And you guys can follow Get Super at Get Super and Super is spelled S-U-P-R. The best. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to visit California again and come and see you and hug you in person. And we can have Get Super in person and just enjoy this sunny San Diego weather. Me too, girl. I'm excited for it. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Take care. Likewise. Friends, that interview was just beyond. A big thank you to Whitney for coming on the show and another thank you to our host at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love just like Whitney. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarinCostello.com and MarinCostelloRadio on Instagram. Have the most beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so, so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.